Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, yo! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, the podcast that takes you back to your childhood one interview at a time. Of course, my name is Tim Nidell, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Saturday Rewind. Of course, find us on Facebook. Just type in Saturday Morning Rewind. Today's interview definitely takes me back to my childhood because if I look back and try to imagine my favorite commercials as a kid, the Micro Machines commercials have to land in the top five every time. So I'm so excited to announce that I have John Mashita Jr. on the episode today. Of course, he was the Micro Machine Man from all those commercials. This is the Micro Machine Man presenting the most midget miniature motorcade of Micro Machines. The Micro Machines collect and worry some trade them from the lube. Remember, if it doesn't say Micro Machines, it's not the real thing. Of course, he also did more commercial work for companies like Minute Rice and FedEx. Somebody's instant rice has been suggesting it's just as fast and reliable as Minute Rice. Don't you believe it? To prove our point, my wife Gladys volunteered to cook up a couple of her favorite Minute Rice dishes. And for all you cartoon voiceover fans out there, he was also the voice of Blur from Transformers. And for those of you who don't know, he was also the fastest talker in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records back in the 80s. He was able to talk 586 words per minute. This was such a fun interview for me to do because I was such a huge, huge fan of Micro Machines, and he's one of the main reasons why I really loved Micro Machines. And it's kind of funny because in the beginning, you'll hear the phone ring and, uh, He'll pick up and say something, you know, make a joke because we try to connect on Skype, but we just couldn't get it figured out to, to where he can hear me. I can hear him. So we decided to do a phone interview instead. So that's why you hear the phone in the beginning. But anyways, remember to check us out online, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Follow us Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Follow our YouTube channel. All those links are on the website. Check out our Patreon campaign. If you want to help keep us alive and give a small monthly donation to help out, that'd be great. Again, that's SaturdayMorningRewind.com. And now here is my interview with John Mashita Jr. All right, this I can do. I know how to pick up a phone. <laughs> Sweet. Good job, man. I'm proud of you. I'm telling you, I need another gold star now. Well, John, thank you so much for doing the interview with me today. I grew up watching you and admiring you on commercials. You know, who? it's kind of odd to say that I admired you on commercials, but it's true. Well, I appreciate hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> how how old were you when you first realized you can talk super, super fast? Well, when I was 12 years old growing up on Long Island, there was a cerebral palsy fair a few blocks away from my house, and they announced that they would donate $2,000 to cerebral palsy for anyone in the Broken Guinness Records. So first I wanted to ride the roller coaster at Coney Island, so I called Coney Island, and they said, hey, kid, take a hike. You're 12 years old. We're not going to let you strap yourself, strap yourself into the cycle for two weeks straight. So I went home and started flipping through a book and decided I wasn't going to eat a car, swallow a pipe, so the next best thing was to lock myself in a room and teach myself how to do the fast talking. I also had five sisters, so I had a little bit of a head start. <laughs> wow. And I'm going to slow that down and post and try to figure out what you just said. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I can do the slower version for you, too. <laughs> um, when I was 12, there was a charity fair a few blocks away from my house. They were going to donate money to 
cerebral palsy for anyone that broke a Guinness record. First, I wanted to ride the roller coaster at Coney Island, but they basically told me, you're 12 years old, take a hike, we're not letting you strap yourself into the cyclone for two weeks straight. Mm-hmm. So I went home and started flipping through the book and decided I wasn't going to eat a car or swallow lead pipe. So the next best thing was to lock myself in the room and teach myself how to do the fast talking. And before that, you didn't show any sign of fast talking at all? Well, I think being Italian from New York, Long mm-hmm. Island, and five sisters, I had a way head start. That is true. That is true up there that you talk a lot faster than most places in the United States. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, if I go down south, I have to so put the brakes on. <laughs> if I'm in New York, I can just talk as quickly as I want to yeah. even bats an eye. But if I go down south, I have to really slow it down. Yes, that is so true. I lived in Florida for seven years, so I know exactly what you're talking about. It's all nice and slow down there. <laughs> and did you drive your parents crazy when you were doing that? Well, I mostly was told to shut up for 15 years, and then <laughs> someone decided to pay me money, and all of a sudden it was my son, the fast talker. Oh, well. yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. They all come running around when you're all rich and famous, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> what, what about at school? Did you ever get in trouble at, in school talking fast or anything? Well, I was told just to, you know... Back then, you could really, they could, were still hitting kids, you know? When I, when oh, I was yeah. in school, back in the day, you know, uh, when I used to walk a mile through the snow, like uh-huh. my grandparents used to tell me, uh, you know, they still didn't want you to write with your left hand. So I would always, I was always very loud, very kind of an obnoxious kid, and they would always be telling me just to shut up. Wow. You were allowed to tell kids to shut up back then. <laughs> is, that, is that really a thing? They didn't want you to write with your left hand? Yeah. Really? I have never heard that. They wanted you to do right hand, so they would slap your left hand with a ruler. Wow. That's definitely new to me. You know, I grew up, you know, I was born in 1980, and I went to school, graduated in 98, and even in the South, even in Florida, they were still, you know, swatting the kids with the with the switch and the, the um, paddle and everything. So it's crazy how much has just changed since even since I've been in school till now when they yeah. can't do anything at all. Yeah, it wasn't until I was like in fourth grade that they really, I mean, I couldn't write with my right hand. It was just horrible. Um but uh, it, once I hit, like, fourth grade, then they let me, we switched schools, and they let me write with my left hand, and it was much better after that's, that. That's insane. I've never heard. That's a new one for me. Yeah, they wanted to make everybody right-handed. <laughs> Gotta fit the mold. Yeah, exactly. Now, I saw an old clip of you on YouTube singing Michael Jackson's um, Bad when you did it really, really fast, and you were actually reading, yeah. you were reading the lyrics at the same time, so are you also a speed reader as well? Uh, well, when I read for my own enjoyment, I read really slowly. But um, I do most, I would say 99.9% of all the jobs I do are on teleprompter or I'm reading out of a script and uh-huh. it's a voiceover. So uh, I, I don't have those kind of brain cells left anymore where I can memorize <laughs> that stuff. No. That's crazy how your mind can just do that. Does your mind ever just like, hey, John, stop, slow down? Yeah, no, occasionally it starts to get really crazy. Usually what happens, like if I go to a TV, like a shooting a TV commercial, and I'm in the studio all day and I'm doing the fast talking take after take after take, and gradually as the day goes on, everybody else starts talking faster. Yeah. So yeah, by yeah. the end of the day, they're all walking into walls, <laughs> and then I just turn it off. And then they're all like this, and they're just crazy, and they can't believe it. <laughs> oh, that's great. I leave everybody just hanging from the ceiling by the time I'm done with them. Now, I saw that in the late 70s, you were part of a Nickelodeon show called Nickel Flicks? I've actually never heard of that. Yep. What was Nickel Flicks? Well, it was when Nickelodeon was first starting. I got a job working in Columbus, Ohio, on the world's first two-way interactive cable system. It was called Cube, 
Q-U-B-E. It was for Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Communications. And uh, people could actually sit in their living room and you could ask them questions and they could push buttons on a box. And the system, the computer system that ran that system took up two warehouses. Wow. Now you could do it on your laptop, (laughs) but back then it took two warehouses. Wow. And Nickelodeon was just starting at the same time. So they had built these studios in Ohio, so all the Nickelodeon shows were done in Columbus in the beginning. Nickelflix was... Uh, I played like a Sydney Greenstreet kind of character in a white suit and a Panama hat and a big rattan chair. Uh, and I did wraparounds for cliffhangers, the old cliffhangers from the movies. Okay. I tried to find any information at all on it. All I found was like a short paragraph on Wikipedia. There's no footage that I can find whatsoever. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't even have any. When I moved uh, from Columbus to L.A., I put everything in storage and the guy who was my agent for the storage acid washed my check. Wow. Made it out to him. Wow. Cashed the check. And then, so I had never paid for the storage. And unbeknownst to me, they sold all my stuff at public auction. Wow, that's insane. Wow. So all my tapes, literally hundreds of hours of TV shows that I did when I was in Columbus, because we went on the air uh, December 1st, 1977, with 11 hours of live programming a day in Columbus, Ohio. I was on TV every day doing one show or another. Wow. That's horrible to hear. I mean, I wish you had all that because I'd love to see some clips of your older stuff on there. Yeah, no, it was, I played, a, I used to, they had a show that was like a bozo kind of show. It was called um, Flippo's Magic Circus. Flippo, the analogy I always use is Bob Hope is to America as Flippo is to Columbus. <laughs> He actually had a chain of fast food restaurants, and he was one of the big local stars, and he was a big get to get him to go over to this cable channel. And uh, whenever he would go on vacation, I would be Muggsy the Clown, and I would fill in for him. We had a a gong show kind of show where the people at home could gong them. It was called uh, Talent Search, and I would host that occasionally. And uh, I had my own kids' uh, show uh, called Short Circuits, which was about a handyman, Lester Hype, but my friend less hype, but my friends called me Lester for longer. Hmm. And uh, it was fun. It was a great education, believe me. Yeah, no kidding. It was a fact I went from doing t- game show production in New York to being a producer performer, coming up with live TV shows every day. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me about your involvement in the uh, Micro Machines commercials. That's where I first fell in love with you, and honestly. It was because of your, you and your character that made me love Micro Machines to this day still. Well, I think that, um, well, thank you very much for that, by the way. And uh, I have people come up to me all the time who just tell me that, you know, Micro Machines is, was, you know, they loved all those commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, they ran in 37 countries. We did 125 of them. Wow. Uh, they stopped doing them for the stupidest reason. Uh, the toy company was called Galoob. And uh, they kicked out the mom and pop Galoob used to run it. And their son took over when they retired. And he kind of ran the company into the ground. And the only thing that was making money was micro machines. So they kind of pushed him off the board, brought in new people, and brought in all new PR people. And their philosophy was you can't sell toys to kids with an adult in the commercial. Really? 
Forget about the fact there was a billion-dollar-a-year no toy kidding. with an adult in the commercial. Wow. So they took me out of the commercials, and now you can't... I mean, back then, there was an entire aisle of yeah, micro-machines yeah. in Toys R Us, and now you're lucky if you get to see a couple of toys in there. No kidding. And honestly, I don't remember a single commercial after you. They did some specialty ones, for like when they did... Well, now they have the Star Wars ones. Yeah. But they did a couple of different specialty ones. But... Um, they really, they disappeared. They used to be, literally be an entire aisle in Toys yeah. R Us. Oh, yeah, trust me. I, I know, because I, I bought almost every single one of them when I was a kid. Yeah, so it was crazy. They fired me on Christmas Eve. They had, uh, in my contract, we used to film, the way you do toy commercials is you shoot the commercials in January, then they take the toys and the commercials to Toy Fair in New York in February, and then whatever sells, that's the commercials they use. So we would always shoot more commercials than we'd get on the air. Okay. But um, so we do them in January, and they had to cancel me uh, 30 days before the tape dates. So it worked out to be huh. Christmas Eve. My God! And the advertising agency was besides themselves. <laughs> yeah, I bet. They were. They were like, we can't believe they're doing this. We've done everything in our power to, you know, to talk them out of it. I thought they were calling to wish me Merry Christmas. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I bet you they definitely regret that decision they made. Well, I've had a couple of those. I did used to do Minute Rice commercials. Mm -hmm. And um, the head of the creative group had a baby and decided that she was going to be a stay-at-home mom. So they did a new creative group, which, of course, wanted to come up with their own ideas. So they fired me, and they went from the top-selling rice to the third-selling rice. (laughs) (laughs) I also heard a, a really funny story about your involvement in those commercials, the Minute Rice commercials, about your mustache. What was that story about? Okay, well, what happened with the mustache? Minute Rice, you know, these commercials that mostly run on daytime TV and are mostly geared towards housewives um, are very conservative generally. And it's usually two women in the kitchen or the husband saying, you know, gee, honey, whatever you did to this ham, please keep doing it. So... When they first pitched me, the advertising agency first uh, pitched me the uh, Minute Rice, they weren't really sure they wanted to use me. So they said, on the first phone call, will he shave his mustache? (laughs) To which my manager said, well, if you want him to shave the mustache, that's part of the negotiation because everybody, we don't know why you would want him to shave the mustache Mm -hmm. because everyone knows him with the mustache. But if you wanted him to shave it, that'll be part of the negotiation. They said, okay, we'll keep that in mind. Two years go by. They fly me to New York for photomatics. They fly me to New York for animatics. They just can't make up their mind whether they want to use me or not. (laughs) Never once again did they mention the mustache. So finally, we're going to do it. We negotiate the contract. They fly me to New York. I'm sitting in the makeup chair. And the client comes in. It was an Indian gentleman. And he said, what is with the mustache? And I said, what do you mean what's with the mustache? He says, well, you're going to shave the mustache. I said, no, I'm not going to shave the mustache. You didn't say anything about shaving the mustache. He says, well, we were doing two commercials that day. I was playing uh, a chef in one and a young dad in the other. And he says, well, chefs do not have mustaches and young dads wear glasses. (laughs) This is what was in his head. (laughs) So I said, well, my manager happens to be out there, so why don't you just go talk to them? Now, unbeknownst to them, the very next day, I was leaving for Africa for six weeks, so it didn't matter whether I had a mustache or not, but they paid me an additional $75,000 to shave my mustache. Wow. (laughs) That's 
insane. I mean, was that a common practice for just a single mustache back then? Well, I, you know, the, the argument we used with them was everybody hires John to have a mustache. So if he shaves the mustache and he's got a job in two days, uh-huh. he has to wear a fake mustache. So he doesn't have time to regrow back the mustache. So now you're ta- asking him to glue his lip until he gets a long enough period of time when he's off that he can grow his mustache back. So it's extreme inconvenience. That's why you have to pay him more money. So, but they didn't realize I was going to Africa, so I could just grew it back when I was in Africa. It didn't matter. <laughs> and we're talking about like the early to mid '80s to when seventy-five thousand dollars is like what over a million probably today. Oh, it was it was a lot of money. It was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> and then the funny thing was, and we tried to talk him out of it even then, even though they were going to pay me the seventy-five thousand. We were like, you know, people are going to say. Why didn't you hire the guy from the Federal Express commercial? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, no, no. You know, they were insistent on it. And sure enough, everybody was, you know, calling them. You should have gotten the guy from the Federal Express commercial. <laughs> so we did many more commercials. We did commercials for four years. And the rest of the commercials, I had the mustache. Oh, that's great. I love that story. We actually even had, we had sat down, and they had planned out commercials for like 20 years of what they would be doing, wow. getting a little more outrageous, you know, gradually getting Minute Rice used to the idea that we're making funny commercials. Uh-huh. And um, towards the end there, we were going to have the Stash family, and I was going to play the whole family. <laughs> I was going to play the mother, the father, and the two kids, the son and the daughter, and they were all going to have a mustache. Oh, so it's almost like what they do now with those progressive commercials. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. They had all that stuff planned out, but we never got to it because they decided to replace me with a gray background and a box of rice. <laughs> so, Well, it, the rice is a little that's, cheaper. That's the ad biz. Yeah, the rice is a little cheaper to get than a $75,000 mustache. So I can see what they were yeah, thinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can imagine what they were paying me to do the commercials if they were paying me exactly. $75,000 to, to shave my mustache. In my so. head, I was actually thinking that, but I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was considerably more than that. It was yeah. a lovely job. It was worth all the aggravation. Mm-hmm. We went in. There was a guy in the makeup room the first day also said to me, um, okay, when we, the first commercial we were shooting, I was sitting behind a table, a really long table that had a million different minute rice dishes on it. And I go, tonight's my night to cook. So I whipped up just a few quick, delicious dishes with minute rice. I thought I'd start with, and then the camera starts pulling back really fast, and I really fast start naming all these dishes. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, we're going to have the announcer come in over that because we're not looking to make a funny commercial. Wow. I'm like, well, what the hell did you want? <laughs> Why do you before? want me? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was like, all right, whatever. Then I said something to the ad agency that don't worry. They don't know what they want. We're not going to put the voiceover over you. <laughs> you know, we'll sh- just give it to them and they'll be happy. Yeah. And I said, okay, because it seems ridiculous. Yeah, no kidding. Hire the fastest talker in the world to not talk fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Well, actually, this is how, how crazy they were. The opening sentence of the commercial was, tonight's my night to cook, so I whipped up just a few quick, delicious dishes with minute rice. They thought the word just made, the, uh, made it too funny. Wow. So I literally stood in a room filled with 14 people for probably 45 minutes going, tonight's my night to cook, so I whipped up a few quick, delicious dishes with minute rice. Rhubarb, 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 rhubarb. Tonight's my night to cook, so I whipped up, I whipped up just a few quick, delicious dishes. Will you say it again? Say it again. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, Can't we just record it both ways? Yeah, no kidding. That's insane. So other than your, your commercial work, you're also an amazing voice actor as well, and uh, one of my favorite characters of yours was Blur 
from Transformers. How did you enjoy recording for Transformers? I love doing that. Unfortunately, I didn't get to the original group on, uh, well, I did the movie, mm-hmm. which was pretty amazing. And then uh, Generation One was a great cast and so much fun to go to those sessions. Unfortunately, I missed a lot of them because I was traveling, working other places, so they would just record me separately. Mm-hmm. But I loved going there for the sessions were so much fun. It was great. And you, I mean, you just get around to sit around with a bunch of grown men talking about your struts melting. It was pretty <laughs> incredible. Yeah. As an adult now, I look back at that cast and pretty much I considered them the gods of voiceover. And the funny thing is they could probably even voice God himself because they're that amazing. So I can't imagine how amazing that would have been to work with them. No, it was it was really great. And I was so sorry when I couldn't make the sessions because I just really had so much fun doing it and just sitting there and watching. Literally, I mean, they were all the masters of the business were mm-hmm. doing it. Exactly. What do, what's one of your favorite memories about working on the animated movie itself? Um, well, <laughs> but one of my favorite memories about it is they sent Robert Stack and I out on a press tour for the movie, uh-huh. and we hadn't seen it yet. And they t- were trying to bill it as a family movie, and it wasn't violent and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. So we're like, well, we read the script. And they said, no, 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 it's a really a family movie. So we went on all these shows talking about it's you know, great for kids and all this kind of stuff. And then we go on like Good Morning America or one of those shows. And they just chopped our heads off. <laughs> we went to the movie, the premiere, the night before. And it's nothing but violent, this acid yeah, rock yeah. or... You know, and everything's getting blown up and beheaded and whatever. And they just were like, how could you say this is for children? This isn't a joke. I was like, oh, my God. And if I remember correctly, there's even some language in there that's not heard in the cartoon itself. It's not a kid's movie. Yeah, yeah. Robert Stack, there's another amazing voice. He had such an amazing talent. But to be honest, I was terrified of him as a kid. Terrified of him because of his voice. It was so eerie to me as a kid. Well, he was the nicest man. We would go into a city, and he'd do half the shows, and I'd do the other half the shows. And occasionally, we would do some shows together. But uh, we were always on you know, the same fl- flight, flying to the next city, doing whatever. And he was really great, mm-hmm. really great. And he, he went with, his wife went with him on the road, so was, nice. uh, she was terrific as well. So they were really nice. What about working on the animated series itself? What's another standout memory besides just working with the cast? You know, I, I just, it was just, you would go in and you'd just read the words and not know what the hell you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, now what is this? Now what is that? The, the latest version that I did, it was uh, uh, the first time I went in to do the show, I didn't realize that, you know, how they had recast everybody. And it was Mark Hamill mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Peter Isaacson and uh, oh, just a, a bunch of new great people. So that, that was a lot of fun. Watching, watching them. Yeah. And, you know, being able to say, well, I worked with Mark Hamill. Exactly. Not to I worked with say Luke that. Skywalker. <laughs> and it's got to be kind of cool to come back and, and revoice a, a character that you voiced so many, so many years ago. Yeah, no, we did, um, I think I did three versions, because I think there's, uh, there was three versions of the TV mm-hmm. Transformers, and I did all, I was the only one that was in all three of them, wow. and the movie. Wow, that's something, because Peter Cohen's in everything. You would think he'd be in all those, too. Yeah, I think there was one of them that he wasn't in. Yeah. 
it, I was watching some YouTube stuff and I came across that uh, Robot Chicken Micro Machines commercial that you did. That was insanely hilarious. Well, let me tell you, I just, I just kept saying over and over again, now you're sure you're allowed to say this. <laughs> I know. I was thinking the same exact thing when I was watching. It's like, how do they get away with this? I was like, you know, and Seth Green came, no, no, we cleared it. It's all cleared with our legal department. Wow. You know, I'm talking about my wife cutting off my balls and leaving me an extra sack, hanging sack. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, and they've been used the name Micro Machine Guy. That's insane. Yeah, no, and they made me look like me. And uh-huh. That was fun because I got to go to the, the next day. They said, well, we're going to be animating it tomorrow, so if you want to come see how we do it. Oh, cool. Meanwhile, I mean, shoot me now. I would, could never do that. Oh, no, no, not. I'm so impatient. There's no way I can spend a minute doing that. No, it was just, I'm like, oh, my God. And then they were moving 18 million things. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, oh, my God. Well, that was cool to see because. But, yeah, no, when we did that, I was, I was shocked I could get away with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they did either, but I'm, I'm glad they did because it's out there for people to enjoy and it's hilarious. Well, thanks. Yeah, and I did, uh, I did several episodes of that show doing different characters, mm-hmm. but that one Micro Machine Man <laughs> one. We did, I did an episode of uh, Family Guy as the Micro Machine Man oh, as well. nice. I haven't seen that one. And it's about uh, me getting Lois into bed <laughs> really fast. And we did several different versions of that, but they ended up going with a very tame version okay. of the show. It's only okay. a couple of seconds long. Yeah. <laughs> they, they definitely toned it down because some of the stuff was pretty out there but yeah. they had other stuff to choose from but that robot chicken one just to this day i can't even believe i could say all that stuff i know it's it's amazing i'll put a link on our website so people can watch that and what are you up to these yeah, days no. anything coming up you wanted to talk about well i just did uh, i guess they're coming out with a micro machines video game which i just okay. did a voiceover for the promo for that so that's going to be up soon i think this month that goes up nice and i did a short film slash pilot called The Auctioneer, which hopefully is going to get picked up and bought. Um, I play an auctioneer. Of course. <laughs> but it was good because it was um, it filmed in Tennessee in Nashville, and um, I got to talk slow. I got to talk with a southern accent oh, except wow. when I was doing the auctioneer and huh. then I'd pick up the pace. <laughs> So, and I have an episode of, um, there's a show on Fox called Superhuman. Okay. And actually, it was supposed to be on last summer, but they decided to hold it, and then it was going to be on in January, and then decided to hold it. Huh. So, I think it starts next week, and I'm not sure which episode I'm on, but I am on one of the episodes uh, playing a used car salesman. Very cool. And spitting numbers at a guy who then has to tell me how much the car is worth at the end of it. <laughs> so, that, that'll be on soon. Okay, so nice. probably sometime in June. Okay, I'll keep an eye out for that. Very cool. And did you have any like social media or any websites or anything you wanted to promote or plug? Well, no. I mean, I have a Facebook page, but I never go on Facebook, yeah. and it's not really. It's just my name things, and I hardly list stuff. Like if I'm, I'm going to be doing a play in the fall, so I'll, I'll put something up for that. If I find out when an episode is going to run for Superhuman, I'll put that on. Or if I'm doing some charity event or something, I put that up there. But I've never tweeted. <laughs> As you know, I'm a moron with the Skype, so <laughs> <laughs> well, I have an email that's still AOL.com, so you know I'm old. Oh, and, that's so great. Um, you know, so I really should do it, because so many shows now, even to get an audition, they don't want to even audition you unless you got, you know, 
the half a million people following you on Twitter. That's true. I've it's done like, the Tonight Show a couple of times with uh, Jimmy Fallon, and they're constantly yelling at me because I don't have a social media wow. presence. It's, it's, is this not? They would have me do vines when I was there, which because they don't <laughs> exist anymore. Exactly. But they would just be like, you know, how, you gotta. Why, how can you not be on t- on Twitter? I'm like, what am I going to talk about? It's overrated. You know, and does anybody really care? No, it's and you're you're a fast talker. You're not a fast typer, so it wouldn't come across. Yeah, no, it's not the same thing. <laughs> Well, all right, John. This has been a blast. It's nice catching up with somebody I enjoyed as a as a kid and an early teenager. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, it's my pleasure. So usually I ask my guests to end out each interview as one of their characters. So is there any way I can get you to end this interview as one of your characters? This is John Machina Jr. And you're listening to Saturday Morning Rewind with Tim Nidell. And remember, it doesn't say Tim Nidell. It's not the real thing. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.